Pray with me. Father, we, uh, we come before you this morning. Lord, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we thank you that you alone have the words of eternal life. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would, by your Holy Spirit, move us and change us. Allow us to hear and to see your glory. Lord, may we honor you, the Son of God. Lord, I thank you for your gospel. I thank you for um, the church, your people. And Lord, we're confident that you want to speak to us, your sons and daughters, this morning. And so, Lord, I ask now that you would move all distractions, including me, out of the way. And Jesus, would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Good morning. How's everybody? Do we need to do some um, squats? No? We're good? Okay. So I work out, that was to segue here. Um, I work out at a certain gym on Austin Highway about four blocks from here. I won't tell you which one it is. But um, here's the thing. I've been swimming a lot because I hate running. Like, absolutely hate it. And as it turns out, there's not very many waves in San Antonio, so surfing is not a good option. So what I've been doing is swimming, and on particularly cold days, I'll go swim, and then I'll go hit the sauna because for some reason it just doesn't feel like I've done anything if I'm not sweating. So a couple of months ago, I did my swim, and then I sauntered into the sauna, and there was one guy. So I do the, the bro nod, right? And said guy is not particularly in good shape. He's also not in particularly uh, well-clothed, as it were. And so I sit down to get a little sweat, right? And then he breaks bro code. Bro code section 1.3.1 states this. If there are only two bros in the sauna, no bros shall talk. Okay? Well, immediately he starts talking. And it gets just really awkward, like I just want to put my towel over my head and just sweat, right? So he starts asking me what I do, and I say, you know, I work uh, at a church close by. And then he does what sometimes happens when, when pastors engage in dialogue and they find out you're a pastor. He starts telling me all the things that he knows about the Bible. Bible this, Bible that, you know, I grew up in church. Um, and then he started kind of going weird. He said, you know... I've got more wisdom than King Solomon and all of his riches. And I was like, really? Really? Okay. Then he got even weirder. He said, and God told me to marry a bunch of women and spread my lineage. So I said, well, uh, looks like my time goes up. I'll see you later, man. So I walked out, got out of the sauna, and I drove home. And I kept thinking, man, that guy was crazy. That guy was off. Like something was wrong. One, he thought he was smarter than Solomon, which is not smart of him. Two, he thinks that Jesus told him to marry a bunch of women, which Jesus for sure didn't say. Three, he broke bro code, right? (laughs) So this guy is not smart. Something's wrong. This morning, we get to a place in John's gospel, in John chapter 5, where we find Jesus surrounded by the religious elite. He's surrounded by these 
folks who don't just think that he's off or that he's crazy. They think that he should be put to death. They don't think that he's just crazy, but that he should be put to death. They weren't saying, well, pretty sure that was blasphemy. Uh, oh, look at that. I met my steps count for the day with my robe and my forehead thingy, so I got to go. What they were saying was, we need to kill this guy. The things that he's saying, the things that he's doing are worthy of death. So turn with me to John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16. Now remember right before this, Jesus had just healed a man at the pool of Bethsaida on the Sabbath. And in their minds to the Jews, this is a really big deal, and this is what it says. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And then he does the unthinkable. And Jesus answered them, my father is working until now. My father is working until now, and I myself am working. So these guys hear Jesus say, my father. And if they grew up in the neighborhood I'm from, they would have started taking their shirts off to square up to him. Because this is something you don't do, right? You don't call God your father. Verse 18 says this, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, which is a big no-no. He was making, he was calling God his own father, thus making himself equal with God. So remember, they're not just upset with him. They don't just think he's a little crazy or off. They think he should die. They think he should die. Um, and I think for us, like, we miss the severity of this, right? Like, um, we, we don't understand how revered God was then. In their culture, um, this was actually a no-no. There's only one God, as the Shema says in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, and they would actually not even say the name of God many times. Um, because the name was so revered. Um, it was actually unlawful, or it was lawful only for those with ears and tongues that were completely pure to either hear the name of God or to speak it. Um, and some scribes would even, before, as they're writing down the scriptures, copying it from one to the other, they would wash their hands every time they got to the word Yahweh, to God. So here Jesus is, Calling God his father. There is only one God. And here, God, or here Jesus says, this is my father. So what he's claiming is that he's got unity with God. Like deep, intimate, personal, father-son intimacy with the living God. He's saying, I and the father are one. And what he's saying essentially is that he's God. The Nicene Creed says it this way, that Jesus is the homoousios of the same substance as the Father. One commentator says this, that when Jesus declares this in the crowd, this moment for Jesus was an act of the most extraordinary and unique courage. He must have known that to speak like this was to court death. 
It is his claim to be king, and he knew well that the man who listened to these words had only two alternatives. One, the listener must either accept Jesus as the Son of God, or two, he must hate him as a blasphemer and seek to destroy him. Let that sink in. One must either accept Jesus as the Son of God, or he must hate him and seek to destroy him. Like Jesus is not pulling any punches here. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming equality with God. So let's, um, we're going to march through our passage quickly um, because there's a whole lot here. Um, but he starts to make these other claims about himself. And we'll start in verse 19. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, or, hey, listen up. This is of vital importance. The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something that he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son does in like manner. And it's not that Jesus is just acting independently or that he's not acting independently from the father like an ambassador. It's that he can only do the things that the father does. Again, he's claiming equality with God. He's so interconnected to the Father that the things that the Father does, he does as well. Remember, this is earth-shattering to the people listening in. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son. And the Father shows the Son all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you may marvel. And so we see again this intimacy this closeness between God and Jesus. Jesus is essentially claiming that he's got a backstage pass to God. And this, this was earth-shattering to those that were hearing it. Verse 21, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he loves. Now, the first part of that would have made a lot of sense to the Jews. They knew that only God could raise the dead. Um, they knew, Deuteronomy 32, I'll read it for you. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. So they would have been great with the first part of that claim. But then Jesus says, but so also the son gives life to whom he wills. This is inconceivable to those that are listening to it. Verse 22. For even the Father judges, uh, for even the Father judges no one, but he is given all judgment to the Son. And what we see here, again, earth shattering. It doesn't mean as much to us right now, but to them, this is just crazy talk by Jesus. Jesus has the authority to judge. Jesus has the authority to judge. Verse 23, and here's why. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so the question for us is why must the Son be honored? Why is he saying this? It's because God sent the Son on a rescue op. God sent a sacrificial lamb because there had to be, had to be atonement for sin. And so if... The sun is not lifted up. If the sun is not honored, then neither is God, it says. 
And Jesus isn't pulling some kind of PR stunt here. He's pleading with them to believe. It's a big, big deal, and there's so much here. Um, There's like a tome of literature on Christology here from just these couple of verses. But I want us to center in this morning on verse 24. This is when Jesus says, again, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has everlasting life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And guys, this morning, Jesus' word is his testimony about himself. What he's doing specifically here in chapter 5 is he's claiming, he's testifying about himself that he has unity with the Father. He's saying, the Father and I are one. We're one. The things that you see me do, I get from the Father. This is another way of him saying, I'm the bread of life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the light of the world. I am the resurrection. I'm the way and the truth and the life. He's claiming divinity. I love what Peter says in first or in John six sixty eight when he's um, done something and um, some people are leaving and he said, "Will you go too?" And Peter says, "Lord, where would we go? Lord, you're the only one that has the words of eternal life. Lord, where are we supposed to go from here?" And so we see from the New Testament that all those that believe the Father accept Jesus and then they receive eternal life. And so the pattern that we see is that you hear, you believe, and then you receive. Chapter 4, the Samaritan woman heard the word of Jesus. She believed him at his word and she received eternal life. The next section, we see that the nobleman's, the nobleman, he hears what Jesus says. He starts to act. He even sees the result. He believes. And then he receives eternal life. And not just him, but his entire household. So you hear the word of Christ. You believe him who sent Christ. And you receive eternal life. Hear the word of Christ. Based upon that, believe in him who sent him. And then receive eternal life. And I love what one commentator said about this. He says, notice the smallness of the conditions here. Notice the smallness of the conditions and the magnificence of the offer. Notice the smallness of the conditions that Jesus places upon eternal life. And how grand and magnificent the offer is. The salvation of a man's soul is simply a matter of surrender. The condition of that surrender is simply to hear and believe. Now think for a minute about our position. Um, we'll do, we're going to go through the book of Romans in about 90 seconds. Okay, So we are at war with God's holiness. Why? Because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. The natural consequence for that is that we would be separated from God for all of eternity, which is a a nice way, a nicer way of saying we're going to hell. Okay? So we're separated from God for all of eternity. And then Christ breaks into humanity's timeline and he offers us life because as he's telling us here in chapter 5 of John, 
he actually can do it. He can actually offer life because he's got the authority to. Because why? He's equal with God because he's God. Jesus has the authority to do this because he's equal with God. So what's the nature of the life that he offers? So if, if we hear Jesus saying over and over, I can give life, what's the nature of it? Number one, it's present. Number two, it's eternal. Number three, it's free from condemnation. So the moment that you and I believe in Christ, we live. We've been taken from death to life. It's secured for eternity. The Holy Spirit is proof of our inheritance. And it's also free from condemnation. And, and I don't know if you need to hear this this morning, but there's nothing that you've done in your past or anything that you can do in the future that will condemn you if you've heard and you've believed. Why? Because you've already received eternal life. Your sins were condemned and punished in Jesus on the cross. And remember what the terms are. It's not um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps the good old American way. It's not have perfect Sunday school attendance. It's not join the Republican Party. It's not whatever the things are. It's this. Hear the word of Christ. Believe him who sent me. Hear the word of Christ and then believe the Father that sent him. And guys, I think the point this morning is that Jesus wants us to be believing. Jesus wants us to be believing. He and the Father are one and he wants us to bring us into that relationship. He wants to secure eternity for us so that we might be with him. And I don't know if you can hear his invitation this morning because Jesus isn't a fat naked guy in a sauna he's not crazy Um, he's actually truth you don't have to be afraid of Jesus or be uncomfortable with him because he's love and everything that he said about himself was absolutely true He's the one that sat with prostitutes and mob bosses, which were probably not quite there if you were to grade it, right? Like we don't have to be uncomfortable around him. He's good. He's the one who healed the lame and the blind. He's the one that sacrificed himself for us. And so this morning as we move to the table, hear the love of God and Jesus for you. Hear the love of God in Jesus for you. Believe that his sacrifice was for you. And then receive eternal life. It's so easy. It's so easy. And thank God that he made it so easy for us. We hear the word of Christ. We believe. And then we receive. It has nothing to do with us. Not our merit. Not our good works. It's purely the work of Jesus on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we believe you. We believe that you sent your son Jesus. We believe that he lived a perfect life. 
Lord, we believe that he went to the cross on our behalf. And we believe that his sacrifice for us, his death, burial, and resurrection satisfied your just demands for holiness. And Lord, we believe that believing secures eternal life for us. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for securing us and leading us into all truth. And Lord, thank you that you've provided the Holy Eucharist for us, that we get to participate in the gospel in a tangible way every single week. Lord, that by the bread, Lord, your body that was broken for us, And the wine, Lord, your blood that was spilled for us, that we might know that you love us, that you gave everything for us, that we might have eternal life. Lord, I thank you for John's testimony, that the things that were written down were written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and receive eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, that you've loved us. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come for us. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing us.